Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. I think going into the pandemic, the molecular side of diagnostic testing was growing, but it really still hadn't made the big leap. People were still using some old sample collection technologies like viral transport media, which was meant to grow viruses, not to detect nucleic acids. During the COVID-19 pandemic, the biotech industry was challenged to rapidly adapt and produce safe, effective testing at an almost unimaginable scale. And so we went from having two companies that filled and finished and created final product for us to at 1.15. And we went from capacity of about 30,000 tubes a day to at one point having capacity for about 5 million tubes a week. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Testing the population is a vital step in the pursuit of disease control, and throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, businesses were forced to rethink the way diagnostic tests were designed and distributed to keep up with demand. Jeff Fisher is co-founder and president of Longhorn Vaccines and Diagnostics, an industry-leading biotech company that has been on the front line of COVID defense. From 2007 to 2017, Jeff served as CFO of Longhorn, and before that, he had experience in the biotech industry as an executive VP and CFO. Jeff is a former infantry officer in the United States Marine Corps. Jeff and I spoke about Longhorn's innovative FDA-approved PrimeStore molecular transport medium, a product that has changed the way viruses are tested. We also talked about how seeking FDA approval helped with a mass rollout in a time of crisis and how Longhorn found an unusual solution to a shortage of essential supplies. Let's enter the arena with Jeff Fisher. I've been uh, in the biotech industry since uh, 1998. My family's been in the biotech industry since the, uh, the late 80s. My father and I had been running a, a biotech company and sold it in 2005, and we're looking for the next company to start. And we decided to uh, look for products, vaccines and diagnostics that could affect what we saw as a coming influenza pandemic. And so we felt like it was an area that there wasn't a lot of work being done on. So we set a key diagnostic tools, and then look for potentially a universal influenza vaccine. Your experience in the military as, as a Marine, you obviously saw a lot of the developing world and how viruses can affect the population. Tell us about how your experience in the Marine Corps 
kind of influenced you and in, in what you do every day? Well, one of my deployments was to Mombasa, Kenya, as part of some relief efforts that were providing into Rwanda. And, you know, one of the things that struck me when we first got on the ground was uh, signs that clearly said HIV is here. I certainly knew a lot about HIV growing up. My father had done a lot of work with HIV when it first came out. But, you know, that wasn't something really as a country in the United States that we kind of really broadcast or felt the need to broadcast that HIV was here. But it was such an important component in their lifestyle and their communities that it was, you know, a disease that was endemic there. And that was kind of my first view into that. And so I spent some time in Africa. I spent some time uh, in the Middle East. And I was also very comfortable being in those environments and as well as seeing the fact that there were people that needed a lot of help. And you know, that was an opportunity as we started this to look at conditions, whether they be the lack of cold chain in a lot of those countries or just, you know, making sure that price points were ones that could affect those communities. And so that had a significant effect on some of the early work we did in developing the products that we have. Certainly an experience that a lot of biotech executives do not have and uh, obviously a, a huge influence on your career. Switching gears, Jeff, your company's core product, Prime Store Molecular Transport Medium. In basic terms, what is the product and what does it do? When we first started the company, we were looking at how we could affect, from a diagnostic standpoint, the early stages of a pandemic. And influenza pandemics, and as we've seen with, with the COVID pandemic, often originate in rural areas. And one of the challenges of collecting good samples and doing good diagnostic testing uh, is getting a good sample, getting the sample back to a laboratory so that you can do a proper test. And one of the things that was happening at the time was about a third of the tests that were coming back were, were failing because the sample had degraded. So we felt that it was important to develop a better sample collection media, one that could stand up to the harshest climates, that could survive days of travel if necessary, and then provide really the highest quality, most sensitive results. And so that's really uh, what Prime Store was about. So it was all of our efforts on the diagnostic side started with a good sample, and, and that's really where we put the focus. And that showed up very early in the process. We did some clinical studies, even in the United States, and looking at influenza, we were able to detect asymptomatic influenza or pre-symptomatic influenza because the patients went on to have influenza several days later. Something that we've seen now with COVID, much more commonly asymptomatic carriers, really was not all that well diagnosed in influenza, mainly because the tools weren't there. And so by having a better sample, we found that we could make these tests more sensitive and detect people earlier. One of the most fascinating things is that you had the foresight to seek FDA clearance prior to the pandemic. Tell me about that and what it did for you once kind of COVID emerged. Well, we started looking at this problem in 2005, but we started the company in 2006. And we had the product up and available during the 2009-2010 H1N1-09 pandemic. We actually received emergency use authorization 
But by the time we got the authorization, the pandemic had kind of fizzled out. The FDA said, well, you need to go back and, and you know do a full 510K on this product. But there really wasn't demand in the US at the time. The molecular testing really wasn't where it needed to be, especially for influenza. So we started looking at tuberculosis because it's a, a worldwide problem. Cold chain in most of the countries where it's endemic is non-existent. And there was a very big push to do molecular testing to speed up the testing process. So we took it to South Africa to see if we could get the same results we were getting with flu. And we were able to show that we could. We ran into a lot of pushback from the TB community. And a lot of people questioned uh, the claims we were making, even though we were publishing these papers in peer-reviewed journals, uh, including the the main tuberculosis uh, and lung journal. But we were still getting a lot of pushback. And so we decided that the best way to get past all of the skepticism was to take it to the FDA and the, uh, really the world's regulatory body, the, the highest standards in the world, and put it in front of them. And so initially, we, we had some challenges. It was a, a product that they didn't really understand, but we, we kept working with them, and then we became partners. We, they realized what we were trying to do and the value that it had. They were very excited about creating this new class of product. And then when the pandemic hit, since it was already cleared, they called us and said, you guys have to ramp up. We need you now. And really, we were having daily conversations with them where they were bringing us into the room with the, the key players at Health and Human Services, uh, the key White House team. And really, they were extremely supportive. So having that relationship with the FDA in advance really, really benefited us and, and really benefited the country because we didn't have to do any additional testing. And uh, the FDA put us right on their uh, preferred list right away. And so we could just focus on scaling production and, and filling orders. Must have been actually thrilling to be in that spot with that clearance in, in hand, knowing that you could really help the country during a time like that. Just talking about COVID, it must have been just a total game changer for Longhorn. Maybe you can talk about the role that you guys played in the pandemic and how did you scale up over the last two years to kind of unimaginable numbers? Well, fortunately, our business model really revolved around outsourcing and partnerships. And so we were very good at finding good people and, and good organizations to work with. And so when we needed to scale, we fortunately had two very good contract manufacturers for the chemical uh, solution that is Prime Store. And so working with them closely to, to scale from, you know, initially 30 liter batches to 200 liter batches to then uh, 800 liter batches to multiple 800 liter batches at a time, we were able to do that fairly quickly. And our chief scientific officer at the time was based in San Antonio. Both of our manufacturing facilities were with Within an hour of his lab, you know, when everything was shut down, he could be driving and and managing that process, and so so that helped a lot. And then, as we looked for ways to expand the filling component of our process, you know, we were very fortunate to start off with two very good groups and then use the relationships that we had created to find others. And so we went from having two companies that filled and finished and created final product for us to at 1.15. And we went from capacity of about 
30,000 tubes a day to at one point having capacity for about 5 million tubes a week. So again, we relied on a, on a good network. We relied on people that uh, we trusted and it worked out. We had very, very few failures caused by manufacturing itself. Unfortunately, uh, we needed very specific tubes for our product and they were hard to come by. We worked with Health and Human Services. They committed all of the types of tubes that we needed that were manufactured in the United States to us, which got us up to close to a million tubes a week. And then they sought out to help us find other sources and, and really generate other opportunities. And so that partnership with Health and Human Services was essential so that we could get the components we needed. And by the way, you're doing this with a team of 15 people, right? I mean, roughly in the organization, that which is like mind-blowing to me. Really, it was more like four because the rest of them were more on the vaccine side. I had a tight team of myself and three others. And all of a sudden, we, we got to the point where my CFO was, was running logistics and couldn't keep up with her day job. And so then one of, uh, one of our executives, his wife had traveled with us and had helped us at trade shows before. And I knew she was a very highly qualified person. And so I hired on to, to run logistics for us. And she stepped in without missing a beat, took over a key component of what we needed. And so then we went from, you know, really four to five and really just, you know, everybody just kind of put their head down and did their job. And, and so I was fortunate that we had a cohesive team. Uh, and then we only needed to add one more person who everybody knew. And, and she just stepped in and just, you know, added another 20% to what we could accomplish. Small companies have the ability to pivot quickly and creatively. As supply grows scarce, out-of-the-box thinking can really make a difference. I asked Jeff about Longhorn's collaboration with the Coca-Cola Group and how they used bottles to create a new type of sample collection tube. So we got to the point where there were no tubes that would meet our standards that would properly seal and keep our product from leaking. And so we were working with Health and Human Services and, and they had, had pushed the U.S. manufacturers, Corning and others, uh, to provide as much as they could for us and all of what they could produce for us. And we still didn't have enough. And at this point, the states were running short of sample collection media. And so we were working with HHS as well as some of the national laboratories. And so then one of the scientists at, I believe it was uh, Oak Ridge, came up with the idea that a preform Coca-Cola bottle or Dasani water bottle looks just like a test tube. And because the capping mechanism is meant to keep carbonation in under unbelievably challenging conditions, they were convinced that it would provide us what we needed to ensure that we weren't receiving any leaking in our tubes. And so the Coca-Cola bottling group stepped in and, and made these tubes available to us. And fortunately, they make billions of them a year. So supply was not a problem. The only challenge we ran into was that they didn't naturally fit into a lot of the laboratory's racking systems. They didn't look like what laboratories were used to seeing. And so there was some pushback on that. But in general, people were generally enjoyed them because they were easier to handle at the collection site. And so I think we all remember in the early days when the lines of cars were out there and the healthcare workers were in full PPE with 
gloves and and shields and you know almost moon suits handling a tube was not all that easy having something that was a little bit bigger and a little bit easier to hold on to i think was actually helpful to them it's a really cool story when you look across the competitive landscape what does that look like for you all and really like what is your market opportunity as you grow the business i think going into the pandemic the molecular side of diagnostic testing was growing, but it really still hadn't made the big leap. And with that, people were still using some old sample collection technologies like viral transport media, which was meant to grow viruses, not to detect nucleic acids. And so they had their protocols and they had no reason to really change them. People weren't really all that concerned about the infectious nature of these samples. And so what we've really seen since is a lot of laboratories that have used our product don't want to ever go back because their laboratory personnel got used to the comfort of knowing that when the sample came in, it was fully inactivated. So they didn't have to worry that they were going to get something from a sample and either get sick themselves or take it home. And so the number of diagnostic machines and labs that have grown through the pandemic are now trying to switch over to take on a lot of other diseases and a lot of other testing requirements. And so uh, I was at a meeting in Europe, their big infectious disease meeting, and where prior to the pandemic, maybe 30 to 40% of the exhibitors would be focused on diagnostic testing. I would say it was more like 80%. So what we see is a lot of opportunity to continue our work on COVID, continue our work on, on respiratory disease, but then expand that into a much wider range of disease areas and other um, genetic and molecular testing. Longhorn is uh, self-funded from what I understand. Is there an advantage to not being a public company? I think that the challenge in the last two years, if we had been either venture-backed or, or a public company, would have been making some of the difficult decisions we had to make and realizing that if we made the wrong decision, we only had really ourselves to blame and, and be accountable to. There was a time in March, April, and May of, of 2021, when the vaccine campaign was, was full bore, the initial phase of the pandemic had been winding down, that we were like a lot of other companies that were sitting on a lot of inventory we had overproduced. And all of our cash flow was really sitting in inventory. And it was definitely a stressful time, but I was fortunate that I didn't have to answer to anybody for that decision. So when the Delta wave hit in July and August of that year, we were in a perfect position to meet our clients' needs and expand the number of clients we had. And so that was a situation where what looked like a mistake ended up being a positive. But you know, I think had we been a public company, we probably would have been hammered for it. And had I had investors that were seeing all their money tied up in inventory that was aging, I think I probably would have been on the phone daily trying to explain when and how I was going to sell it. It's a double-edged sword. Being public it can be very beneficial. Um, certainly, the heightened scrutiny could have been uh, paralyzing to you guys in, in that position. So, really interesting topic to think about. What's the concept of One Health that you're pursuing? So, one of the great things about all the products that we've developed is that they're not really tied to a specific pathogen, a virus versus a bacteria, or even human health. 
some of our largest growth over the last six to nine months has really been on the agricultural side. And it's a side of the business that we're actively growing. You know, animal infectious diseases affect us in multiple ways. Sometimes they jump and become human diseases, as we saw with COVID. Sometimes they affect our food supply. And, and one of the big pathogens that's circulating in different parts of the world is, is a virus called African swine fever. It's not something that we concern ourselves with from jumping to humans and causing human disease, but it can rapidly wipe out uh, herds of pigs. And so the damage that it can do to our economy, the damage that it can do to our food supply, you know, we're obviously seeing that with avian influenza right now and what it's doing to poultry and what it's doing to uh, turkeys. It's affecting egg prices. It's uh, affecting chicken prices. If it hits at the wrong time of the year. And as we're going into the Thanksgiving timeframe, it can, it can affect turkey prices in a big way. And so what we're looking at is how do we ensure that we're getting our products to all the segments of society that they would benefit? And so, I mean, there's the same is true of a lot of plant diseases. We have people testing palm plants in Malaysia, because if they lose their palm industry, it's, uh, it, it would be devastating uh, looking for disease. So uh, we see One Health really crossing humans, animals, plants, you know, really kind of every aspect of what we consider health. The average layperson doesn't really think about it in those terms, like the palm example, you know, how that would devastate the economy and the people there, even if it wasn't something that jumped to, to humans. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, Jeff, was um, your current work with the U.S. Army to investigate a universal influenza vaccine. It's called a composite peptide vaccine. So it allows us to take pieces of different components of the virus, put it together into multiple peptides. And so uh, this allows us to go after multiple pieces of the virus that are conserved across all strains. So the virus has a harder time escaping. Uh, it has to beat the vaccine on multiple fronts. And then on top of that, we work with the Army to uh, provide their next generation first-in-class adjuvant to further stimulate the immune system and provide you know, a balanced and complete response. Uh, today, I spent uh, a good part of the morning watching the uh, FDA panel on the Novavax COVID vaccine, which is very similar approach to what we're trying to do. And there was a lot of discussion about really the benefits of really kind of a protein-based adjuvanted vaccine. You know, there was a lot of excitement early on about the mRNA vaccines. And I think that over the last six to nine months, we've really seen some of the limitations that the mRNA vaccines have. And so we think that from a, uh, an efficacy, a durability, and, and really a breath standpoint, our approach is going to really have a good chance at creating that very first truly universal influenza vaccine. It's amazing all the things that you're working on and uh, such an important company. I guess my last question, Jeff, is what is your prediction for UT football this year? I don't know if we bought enough players, but I think we got at least, um, <laughs> it sounds like we've got a good quarterback coming in. I, I think with the new rules on, on how you recruit, I would not put past uh, the Texas boosters to make sure that Texas is successful this year and for many to come. 
Longhorn took advantage of its small size and close partnerships to deliver a product that was critical in the fight against COVID and other infectious diseases. Ultimately, they were able to convince their skeptics of the efficacy of their product while being open to new delivery opportunities. Today, with over 60 million devices delivered to governments, hospitals, and labs in over 20 countries, the adaptability of PrimeStore indicates a bright future in human health and beyond. Welcome to the arena. We're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. It's been a real pleasure speaking to Jeff. He's had a great military career, returned to the family business, and he was really inspired by what he saw around the world during that experience. I know we can all sleep better at night knowing that there are people like Jeff out there doing such important and necessary work. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.